mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hello and welcome to Sentimental Garbage, the podcast where we talk about the culture we love that society sometimes makes us feel ashamed of. My name is Caroline O'Donoghue, and that was absolutely perfect without being very good at all. And she'll be known as Baby Spice, even when she's 30. It's Lauren Mayberry. <laughs> this is the best introduction I've ever had to anything in my life. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so we're ta- you've, you've selected Spice Girls as a movie, but I assume that comes as a kind of an emblem in the center of like a Spice Girls worship all around. I'd love to tell me why you chose this and why this piece of culture. Oof. Well, I felt like it was a lot of pressure coming on the podcast. I was like, I've got to, got to do it justice. I've got to do something that really feels like truly sentimental non-garbage to me (laughs) and yeah I think for a British girl growing up in the the 90s I'm like the Spice Girls were just they were it it was it was a completely mind-blowing thing and I do think that I can trace a lot of the threads of my interests and my pursuits in life back to being 10 or 11 and seeing the Spice Girls on TV and I remember watching the Union Drag Union Jack dress Brits with my mom and like Mm. there's just so many Spice Girls memories but uh, I chose Spice World because I feel like it is a 90 minute summation (laughs) of a lot of those things Um, and I hadn't watched it for a while so I had to hunt it down and it's impossible to get on streaming I found yeah, um, at least in in America I could not find it I had to get a DVD (laughs) and I was like what's going on does Simon Fuller not want this money? I'm so confused. <laughs> I don't understand. Weirdly, there's a DVD sh- shop near me, like a oh. rental place. Um, but I went to the musical section and I went to the uh, music documentary section and I was like, hmm, going to have to ask. So I had to go to the, uh, the desk and ask a very nice man if he could get me <laughs> Spice World from the back. And he did have it. So, uh, yes, thank you to the man at Videotech. Thank you to him for <laughs> helping me out. Um, I was like, oh, I wonder if this gets rented out a lot. And he was like, more than you would think. And I think that speaks to the power of the spice. It's so, it's so much fun. And it's, and I know you said it's not garbage to you, but it is certainly garbage to some. It's like got a, a sort of a 15 on Metascore. It's got like a half a star oh. for Roger Ebert. It's like, it was panned. And like, I find it so interesting when um, people willfully decide not to meet a piece of culture where it is you know Mm. like that you would just decide and they did this I think with glitter as well with uh, Mariah Carey's movie which is like a perfectly fine piece of like pop merchandising that's like supposed to sell a dream and an artist and a vibe and it's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be seen by children and it's supposed to just have this joyous bubblegum thing to it and supposed to lift you up and Spice World does all of these things and yet there was this kind of real flurry of people um you know expecting it to be like Amadeus or something being like what is this <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah well and I like watching it now however many years down the line I do think it's quite amazing that it happened at all because mm-hmm. even the biggest pop bands that have happened since then like One Direction have a documentary they don't have like yeah 
a feature film and I'll, it's I guess it's kind of a rip of Hard Day's Night or the Beatles yes. kind of era but I'm like there's only been who else has done that really I'm like just just the Spice Girls so and then you know to a 10 year old girl in the UK I'm like the Spice Girls are my Beatles in that sense I'm not saying Spice Girls are better than the Beatles everybody calm down <laughs> but you know what I mean I was like to a kid of that time seeing and I do think I don't know. To me, I think it's very important that not a lot of the songs are about romance. There's like a handful that are about love, but the rest of it is is about female friendship or your opinions or go, going out and just getting it down. And like, I think that that's quite rare in in pop culture. Like all the all the other girl bands, I love. I mean, I love them all. I love them all. But I do think that the themes in and I know you love a theme, Caroline. The, the, the I, themes. I adore the themes. <laughs> The themes in uh, Spice Girls songs are quite different in my mind from like All Saints or even Sugar Babes to a degree, like those other bands who came a little bit after, I suppose. But yes, I like that it's not all about it's not all about boys, as it were. Um, yeah, they, I mean, yeah. obviously, the first song that comes to mind there is "Wannabe," which was like, it, I I I am thirty three, and I think I was about six when it came out, or something six or seven, and um, is just even then I remember it so well as like a it's like the Kennedy assassination for millennial women it's like you there was a before and there was an after (laughs) and everybody knows where they were and like I think it it looked so different to how music videos looked at that time and it was so it was so cheap but it was so fun and obviously we, we were too young to know what looks cheap but this just these girls just running around a King's Cross nightclub um and I think the what was so inviting about them was like that they genuinely seemed to be best friends, that they were genuinely chaotic and couldn't be. That was what was so fun about Wannabe, right? They kept, they just like were just bursting around and like fucking wrecking tables and stuff. And um, it had been so long since there had been any kind of girl group up to that point that had done anything that um, it was such a burst of life. But tell me about, apart from Wannabe, which is obviously, if you want to get my... If you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. The ultimate sort of anthem to female friendship. What else do you think are like, you know, themes of them not being a straightforward romance pop group? Well, I think uh, a song like Mama, I'm like, I don't know. I really enjoyed that when I was that age. And now as a woman in my 30s, I find that song very very moving, (laughs) strangely moving. And I don't expect, didn't expect to find it that emotional. But yeah, I think things like that. I'm like, yeah, they're talking about like female issues, not issues, but like, yeah, how you get on with your mom when you're 15 and when you're 35. Equally complex, equally Mm. complex. Mm. (laughs) And it's such a special relationship and it's so specific and it's so sometimes so fraught and sometimes so amazing. And yeah, I think a song like that. And who do you think you are? untouchable it's untouchable and I'm like is this who is this to like the the haters as a concept didn't exist then but I suppose that is a song I I don't know I always interpret it as that was what they thought the media were saying to them because the media the British media especially were horrible to them and I think that I like I don't know I'm like put it in a song girls put in a song that's your right to reply is put it in a song and I think that yeah things like that and just the Stop. Stop. Everybody knows that dance routine. Everybody knows it. Like, it's just a perfect, very entry-level, approachable, everybody can do this bit. Mm. And 
slam it to the left if you're having a good time, shake it to the right if you know that you feel fine. I'm not entirely sure what it means, but it's definitely not about chasing chasing boys around, which I think is interesting because all the other songs I would sing along to from that time period are that. So, yeah, and obviously I love all those songs, no disrespect, but mm. all the boy band songs were about that. All the other girl band songs were mostly about that. And I like that it, every so often, obviously, two becomes one. We all know what that's about. But <laughs> that, you like, know, I remember like, finding out what it was about when I was about eight and being like, no, no, <gasps> they wouldn't <yes>. dare. <laughs> but it felt edgy. It felt like provocative. And I was like, oh, they're like owning the conversation more. Maybe I'm like, I'd, adding a lot of Gloria Steinem to this that isn't there but <laughs> in my mind I was to. like yeah I was like they're adding more agency to that than I felt in other in other pop songs I guess of the time and I think as well even talking about it now it occurs to me that like so many of the Spice Girls songs they weren't I mean they weren't about that point of contact of like realizing you fancy somebody which is what 90% of all pop songs are about is about realizing you fancy someone and wanting them to fancy you too and it they're the songs that are about uh, romantic relationships are chiefly about the Spice Girls setting their terms out as to what they will allow within a romantic relationship so like obviously we just had wannabe but like stop is like it's like, yeah, I like you, but this is getting a bit much kind of thing is what that song is yeah. about, right? They were um, boundaries girls before we talked about boundaries. <laughs> before we knew what boundaries were. Yeah, yeah. They, but they, I, I feel like it, I, I'm, I'm struggling. Um, I think there's a lot of that, though. Like if I were to go through a Spice Girls lyric sheet, I would find a lot of them just explaining to some imagined man, like, this is what I'll accept. This is what I will not accept. Um, here's yeah. how it's going to go. Um, but let's let's like bed down in the film. Like it's such a fucking nuts movie. It really is quite crackers. I hadn't in my mind. I think what happens in the first half hour is what I remember the whole film being. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a lot of mad shit that happens <laughs> later. And I was like, oh, I don't have any memory of this. Like <laughs> aliens? Why are there aliens? The but aliens. Even then I thought that was it was kind of meta because they're like everybody in the universe knows who the Spice Girls are. Yeah, well, I just wish <laughs> I just wish those aliens cast because like this would have been like the era of like the X Files where like it was like a, the nineties were a time of aliens. Like we were obsessed, and it was all like the kind of the luminous sort of like big eyed sort of uh, alien. And like the alien that the Spice World movie came up with is the most horrible <laughs> rendition of outer space like life I have ever seen. They're like just like these weird crumpled rubber masks. There's like one's yeah. got a big pot belly that one of the girls has to kiss. They've got these little claw hands that grabs on to Melby's tit. It's like, I yeah, just, that was where he's trying it. And she's like, oh, hands off or whatever. And you're like, oh, I just watched a little welly boot alien try to grab Mel's boob. Like, what's that's going on? exactly what they look like. They look like these little melted welly boots with like studded texts <laughs> for eyes. And it's it's a, such a troubling. It's the only thing in the movie that I would prefer was not in the movie. Um, but I, I usually do, at this point, I do like plot summaries and you can't really do that with the uh, with Spice Girls movie. But what you can do with the Spice Girls movie is plots summary because there are so many strands in this film. The strands are, as I can count them, the um, the sort of movie within the movie. So there's like this um, American TV producers who've come up with the concept. The Spice Girls are famous. The Spice Girls are everywhere. 
uh, let's make a movie about them. And there's a really funny scene with the, there's lots of great character acting performances, I think, in this movie, which sort of buttresses the fact that the Spice Girls, as much as their vibes are brilliant, they're not actors and they shouldn't have to be, you know? No. It's like we want to no. see them like sort of like having fun organically and like singing and dancing, but we don't really want them to do line readings because it can get a bit awkward then. But all the character yes. actors that like buttress these performances, like Richard E. Grant and Alan Cumming and those two movie producer guys and the conversation they're having is like, okay, here's my idea. The Spice Girls, they're famous. They're singers. There's five of them. That's it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's such a funny, all of these like plot summaries, plots rather, the documentary with Alan Cumming, the News of the World sort of paparazzi thing, the Royal Albert Hall performance, the pregnant friend. I think they're all, they all sort of like represent like the stations of the cross of what celebrity looked like for women in that time period and what celebrity probably still looks like for women in pop now, um, which you can, you can probably comment on far more than I can. <laughs> I mean, not to the degree, obviously, of the Spice Girls, but it was interesting watching it as a grown lady who is in essentially a pop band. I was like, oh, they were telling, they were trying to tell me something. They were yeah. telling me things at the time. And I love how meta all of that stuff is because they're they're commenting on the treatment of them just, and it doesn't, it feel at the time I didn't feel like it was like message, message, message. But there's there's lines in it where you're like, hmm, you already know. Like when there's a there's a scene where they dress up as each other at a photo shoot and they're like, because we're only ever allowed to be one thing. We can yeah. only ever be the thing that people think that we are already. And I don't want to be baby forever. I don't want to be sporty forever. And I was like, oh, it's true. It's and I was like, oh, that's so freeing for them to be able to. And I, that was such a, I love a montage. I love a makeover scene. And I was like, it's a makeover montage. Oh, my God. But oh it my still God. felt fun and tongue-in-cheek. And uh, yes, I enjoyed it very much. I love that scene so much. I think it is the best part of the whole movie. I think the... the I won't lie. I love this movie. And I... I, I it's I'll often like when I'm having a friend stay over and we've gotten a bit pissed, we'll just throw it on kind of thing. Um, and it's a... But it's like always the same where it's like, we're really excited and we're really fucking into it and really hyper and like we've had a few vodka sodas or whatever. And then it's like, by the sort of like 75% point, we're like, yeah. <laughs> and some stuff is happening and that's fine but like that first half hour when that montage gets like is and everything it's like so it's so pacey it's so fun you really do feel like you're experiencing this level of fame with them and like that they're just like in this sort of like pod of cozy friendship and the kind of world is bouncing off of them but it's not bothering them that much like that's what's yes, like, very empowering about it I think and that there are creepy media men sitting in an office being like how do we get these girls which is kind of what I feel like a lot of media especially gossipy media is they're like they really don't like women being that, that powerful in that way so yeah I think that it, even though I was like, it must be a parody of Rupert Murdoch like it must be yes yes or so, Max Clifford I think I think he's like oh yeah. yes so yeah, the kind of amalgamation of it. And there's the bit where he gets so excited that they have found some dirt on the girls and he gets so excited that it starts like storming inside his office because he's so <laughs> overjoyed about it. I'm like, yeah, I do think that. I think that media, especially that kind of media, does really enjoy and profits from female pain specifically. And I was like, yeah. But they've written about it within the premise of this like hard day's night, ridiculous fun film. So, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like 
it's so fun and it's so ridiculous and it's it feels like it makes all these like important points for especially if you think of this as being an audience of mostly like seven to eleven year old girls and like it feels like they're not glorious dynaming it but they are being incredibly funny about an incredibly difficult and unfair process of female celebrity you know it is like the sort of um beginner's pictures books for the beginner's picture book of female celebrity for small children of like and this is when they turn <laughs> against you turn the page Ooh, it's a fluffy yes. page <laughs> like you know yes and even the fact that the nicknames of the spice girls i think came from the daily mail yes maybe um and even then i'm like Ooh, i assume based on what the names are i'm like i must i assume i'm a, a fella did this and I'm like, oh, baby spice. It's a bit weird, but okay. Scary spice. There's layers to that one. I was like, oh, yeah. dear. Like when you zoom out of that, you're like, oh, this is not very cool. But yeah, it's just such a very specific time of, and I've talked to like um, my partner's the same age as me and he's British as well. And I'm like, oh yeah, we experienced the 90s very differently, even though we were both like young in the 90s. Like the post, like the Britpop lad culture, ladette era manifests very differently depending who you are in that scenario. And I'm like, oh, it was really, yeah, I think I don't really know. I'm like, I don't know how you survive in that climate. You kind of, I don't know. I feel like it's all my experience in a pretty male dominated industry has always been like, how do you negotiate? carefully and gently to get to where you want to get without upsetting people too much but you know where you're trying to go but you have to choose which hills to die on and what to do and we exist at such a small percentage of what the Spice Girls were dealing with and it's that was in the 90s with an even more disgusting media and I'm like I don't know how they came out of it alive I don't know how they came out real like not no 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 not that unscathed seemingly based on a lot of the information so I don't know it's it is kind of amazing when you think that like when you when the world is getting you down and you think that like we live in this sort of misogynist hellscape where women are not allowed to thrive and and everyone's got a fucking eating disorder and it's just awful. You can just say to yourself, every Spice Girl is still alive. You know, like yeah. every Spice Girl is still alive and thriving. They all have kids. They all seem fine. And it's like they got through that. And like, it seems to me that the only way that a person would get through that is A, as a group and B, with no smartphone technology, which I thought about Oof. a lot when I was watching this movie, because like they what's so kind of nice about watching this movie is that yeah you do have all these people who are like conniving against them you've got like the documentary filmmaker the movie who wants to make money out of them the like Richard E. Grant's character who's like just trying to work them as hard as he can um even though he sort of loves them um and there's all these points where like he's coming to them it's like fucking publicist 101 don't come don't come to your client with the problem do you know what I mean of him being like look at all these things people are saying about us and there's but they're so beautifully within the bubble of themselves of just like just like oh I don't know it's fine whatever kind of thing that it's like oh if if any of these people had a phone that was like plugged into what people thought of them or how people were talking about them like I know that in particular Jerry had to deal with a lot because like every like there was always just another news headlines about her tits and where what her tits were doing and I also think she was having a lot of fun with it like there's a bit where she met well, not, not the thing is the, the, the Spice Girls real life 
and Spice World the movie merge so much. Like there's this bit in real life when Jerry, they all met um, Nelson Mandela and she's standing next oh, to yes. him. <laughs> Jerry's standing next to him. And he says something like, oh, I'm an old man. And she, he says, you're only as young as the girl you feel. And I'm 25. So <laughs> it's like, this isn't from a Spice World movie. This happened in real life. So it's like this beautiful blending and merging. And something that the, the fact that the Spice Girls cannot be killed is just lovely to me. You know, they just exist in that little bubble of history and time. And it it, it still makes you feel very sentimental about like girl power as a thing, you know? Yeah. And it is quite mad when you zoom out of it and realize how short a time they actually existed for like jerry was only really in the band for like once we knew of them like two years two and a half years or something and the legacy of the spice girls as we can as we know it's very potent it's very potent and i do like when you watch when i was researching and watched back like interviews or bits of documentaries that there is really it feels like there's a kind of girl gang culture where if someone if an interviewer is being shady to one of them it'll be one of the other ones that tells them to shut up and back off and I think that is really I just think that's really beautiful I think it's really nice and then I was watching I think maybe maybe it was the 2007 doc I don't know about the start of the solo career so maybe it wasn't that um Oh no, I do know what it was. It was uh, I think it's on it's on Channel 4, so you guys can all get it. Um mm-hmm. and it's called like How Spice Girls Changed the World, How Spice Girls Changed Britain, yeah. maybe. Um and it's there's a clip of Emma Bunton on the Howard Stern show and he's talking to her about which big vibrator he would like to use on her and stuff like that. Oh my god. And I was just like, wow, that's horrendous. But also if Jerry or Mel B were in the room, they would be saying, Howard, you shut up. We're not having yeah. that. But I think it is yeah, there's safety in numbers and it is harder being a, a solo woman in those situations because you have to figure out how to navigate your way out of it. Because you're always thinking about the aftermath of it. You're like, oh, if I'm not assertive enough, then that's horrible for me. But then if I'm too assertive, then everyone's going to be like, oh, she was such a bitch in that situation. And especially for the concept of Baby Spice, Baby Spice can't be seen to be being a bitch. And I was like, oh, no, this is terrible for Baby Spice. Oh wow! So, I hadn't thought yeah. of that before. Of like how all of their archetypes are ultimately a trap because they're all a yardstick for which to judge their behavior, right? Like, yeah, and particularly Baby Spice. Like, if she's being a bitch, it's like kind of okay for Jerry to be it, but not maybe Emma. But like, I, I I'm um, curious as to you know, as a as a female pop star, like, how can can you? Uh, trace the lineage of you as a very young girl watching this movie and you as a performer now? Um, I think, I guess it's different because my girl gang is not a gang of girls. It's yeah. uh, other men. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I think there is, we've definitely evolved to be better at those interview settings. Like now they will say, occasionally it'll be them that'll be like, hey, hold on, when things are happening. But Initially, it was definitely either I just kind of look at the floor and mind my business or then I'll have to say something about it. And that would always be the thing that would get the pickup is clap back. Uh, I hate the word right. clap back. I hate the word uh, like speak, speaks out or whatever. And you're like, no, you just tried to set a nice boundary, a nice gentle boundary. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I do think that even 
In terms of like stage persona and stuff, I think it is stuff like the Spice Girls, Gwen Stefani, Shirley Manson, like things like that from that era. Even if now I know enough about it to be like, oh, you're probably not like that in real life. Mm. But in your like public persona, I do think there's, I like that, like the just taking up space and a lot like defending your right to take up space, I think is, I'm like, that's the ten- one of the tenets of the Spice Girls, I think. And there's a Spice personality for everything. Um, earlier before I came on, I was like, what Spice Girl would you be? <laughs> to, to my partner, another cat was sitting there. I was like, what Spice Girl would she be? And then I decided <laughs> she, she would be a shy Spice that doesn't exist. And then I got quite misty and I was like, I need to go get ready for the podcast. But um, I guess she would be baby. It's hard to say. <laughs> or posh. Posh, probably. Is your cat, um, so. Yes, sorry. <laughs> yes. I would love um, to see the cat. I would like to verify whether or not it is posh or baby or indeed shy. Well, she is shy. She's misunderstood. She's misunderstood Spice. I think people are like, what a strange standoffish cat. And I'm like, she's shy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. And I wonder even to go back to the the roles that they kind of had to play. Yeah. Um, I do feel my my thesis is that the... When Jerry left the Spice Girls, there's also a documentary on this that she filmed as she was leaving the Spice Girls. And then the immediate aftermath of that, like, ginger spice persona was, you know, the black turtlenecks, the very, like, Jackie O, like, Mm. demure. Mm. And I'm just, I'm like, yeah, she was a 25-year-old girl who became this insanely famous person who was so celebrated but so vilified and hated and Mm. all people talked about was how gobby you were and how big your tits were like that's horrendous so no wonder that psychologically what you want to do after that is hide hide yourself and be taken quote-unquote seriously and I don't know I was like oh no you can be all the things Jerry you can do it all but I understand the impulse to want to do that and that made me quite I was like she's figuring she's discovering different aspects of herself but I do think that that must have had a really profound psychological effect on her and I did I read the Mel C memoir that came out last oh, year, yeah. maybe. Um, and she talks a lot about that, about how the, like, she couldn't win, like, when she was struggling most with her eating disorder. When she was really skinny, the press would talk about that. When she was getting healthier, the press would talk about that. And she was, like, a size 10, 12, and the press were calling her Sumo Spice. Oh, my God. And I don't know, as a young woman, I'm like, how do you... I have no idea psychologically how you deal with that. I, I don't know. So not to get too dark, but as you say, I think we are lucky that all the Spice Girls are still on this planet, to be honest. Yeah. Based on things like that. I'm like, mm. Yeah. I made it dark. Um, sorry. No, it, no, it, it, it is. It, like, yeah, and that, that's it. Like the fact that they have survived it and all just seem very happy is uh, remains amazing to me. And what's so funny to me is that like, the, the as I said before, like in this movie, like a lot of the sort of like comedy stakes are kind of propped up by kind of character actors, and then like Spice Girls just kind of deliver the vibes. And yes, <laughs> I, I I like how um they're trying to get they give you sort of like edges of what their true characters are, and I think what's so significant about that, and like why there will never be really a movie made like this again, unless it's about like BTS or something, which is like. I don't think people will ever understand like, people coming up now. Re- like, first of all, realizing what a sort of a global phenomenon this is. Like, my grandmother knew who the Spice Girls were. You know what I mean? It was like, it was, no, you could not know who they were. Like, fame was a different thing back then. 
because fewer people were famous and the fame was more potent. And it's really difficult to understand if you come up now that like we could only get as much of the Spice Girls as we could catch on TV, you know, like so we would have a sense of like what their personas were um, because of like, you know, oh, the Daily Mail tells us that one is scary and one is posh and one is this. And like we could catch it from like video interviews that we would get on top of the pops or something. But really their true characters were kind of like a mystery to us. And so watching this movie and like watching what we think is just them hanging out as like little girls or whatever, we think it's kind of like this organic situation. And it's like, you see the kind of edges of what their real like characters are. And with Jerry in particular, you get the sense that the movie is trying to position her as like this intellectual kind of thing, like a sexy intellectual. Did you get that watching it again? The the section where Mel and Jerry are playing chess. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed very much. But then I did like what it was. I didn't get that that was a joke or whatever at the time. But I do like what it's trying to say. It's like, yeah, you can be a global pop star and you can be wearing a bustier and like platform boots. But also maybe she plays chess. She's watching like old classic films on TV. And yes, yeah. they were definitely conscious of. And I do think, yes, social media is terrible, but it also does give you as a an artist slash quote unquote celebrity a way to present what you're actually trying to present and some kind of right to reply almost that they didn't get in any other situation. They could only do it in the songs or in interviews if if they managed to get their point across through yeah. past the lens that people are trying to put on them. And yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of glad that the only interviews I watched were at the time were like top of the pops and like the silly, silly things. And I wasn't picking up on the annoyance of a lot of those questions. But yeah, I saw, I think it might have been Parkinson and like Victoria, it was like Victoria and David on David, as if he's my personal friend, <laughs> David, um, were on and he asks her, he's like, do you have an eating disorder? What do you eat? What do you eat in a day? Do you eat? And then he's asking her, and then she's like, I do, I do eat. And then she's like, I just think that's absolutely horrendous and insane that people thought that was all right. I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. It's a very, there's a lot of darkness in and around the Spice World universe that I don't mm -hmm. like to think about. I guess when I was an orig originally a Spice Girls fan, they mm -hmm. were like the big sisters I wish I could hang out with kind of vibes. And now yeah. I watch it as a 35-year-old woman and I feel really like, protective of them and worried for them and like Mel's on the exercise bike a lot in the film which is obviously a reference to Sporty Spice but then there's so I was like oh that's quite dark when you think about that she's been very open and very brave talking about over exercising and under eating and all those things and I'm like oh no and it is the, there's a weird plot line about their friend who is pregnant and they're all going to be godmothers to her child. And there's a bit where they sit and they're like, I wonder if we'll ever have kids. And then they have a little daydream sequence about them being mothers. Yeah. And I was moved to tears. Because <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh, all the Spice Girls are now mothers. And I was like, well, they were so young when they made this film. And like, oh, I felt, I, I don't know, I found it very moving that essentially, I suppose a lot of Spice Girls is about girlhood and they're coming into womanhood and that kind of agency and I'm like now they are in their womanhood and they are mothers to the next the next round of little spices or whatever and I don't know why I found there was a lot more things in the film that moved me than I thought that would I thought it was just going to be a fun romp which it is but there were things that made me a little sad and a little overwhelmed in unexpected ways I was I also know. quite overwhelmed that when they were all mothers Oh I just, yeah, I I that got me thing. too in a weird way. It's so silly, but it did get me. 
um what else what else made you overwhelmed emotionally well we were we were mess- messaging about this but because i got the dvd uh, there were dvd extras yes and i got ga- i gasped audibly when i put the disc in and i popped i was like oh there's extras oh. so one was just the trailer which was fine but there were things in the trailer that weren't in the film so it was like tisk tisk on that but there was like a um a live performance of uh mama from albert hall and they play in albert hall in the film uh and there's a live audience in it so i think they're like singing along to the the audio but you don't ever get the overdub front of house desk audio mm-hmm. when in the thing on the dvd extras you just are getting the on stage camera and you can hear everybody in the room singing along to the song and that got me i don't know it got me i wasn't expecting it to no that would get me too I don't know. it's a beautiful song and i do think that people don't give the spice girls enough credit for like co-writing those songs and obviously they were working with really great songwriters but you can tell when a 40 something year old man has written lyrics for a girl band. You can tell. Even when I look back on the ones from that time I'm like, yeah, yeah. there's definitely ones where I'm like, mm-hmm, that I don't especially there's always the extra gross ones. <laughs> Such as? Do you have any examples that come to mind? Well, 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 cuz Eurovision just happened and I was oh, uh, right. looking up songs from Eurovision and I'm like, mm, like Papa on a string and things like that. I'm like, Ooh. there's always a lot of like Oh, I hope I get chosen. Please choose me. Like those, I don't enjoy that. And also, I don't believe the vocabulary of the Spice Girls, I do believe, was made up by young women. And they talk about that, like they were just like the the lyrics to wannabe. They were just like shouting back and forth to each other. And I think I do I do believe that. And I think that that, even though there are elements to Spice Girls that are a manufactured band to a degree, I do think there's an authenticity in what the band became and how they how they worked within that framework and I think that they don't get enough credit for that and for this film they hadn't finished the songs for the second album so apparently there was like a recording studio trailer on site so they would be shooting their bits running to write songs for the second album running back to shoot things running back and there's little bits of footage from that where you can see them like throwing lyric ideas around and then be like it's time get to set and I just think I don't know. People always talk about the Spice Girls as it was a thing that was made by men and sold to young girls. And I'm sure that there was an element of that in the beginning. But I don't think, for me, I don't feel like it is that. It doesn't, I don't believe it is all that. That's such a great point. It's it's, it's made me think of several things, which is like, first of all, that I, I'm so glad that we live in an era now. And I know there's many, many flaws within the music industry now, but where, um, female pop acts are not there's there used to be a de facto assumption that they because they were they were writing pop music that they and everything about them was artificial or manufactured do you know what I mean I feel like now we all understand mm-hmm. that like someone who like writes songs like yourself or self-esteem or you know like anyone who writes um like big bangery pop music that's supposed to be danced to or supposed to be loud or supposed to be played you know whatever um that's that music has just as much weight, relevance, emotion, care, and art, an artistic, you know, agency as any other kind of song. And I feel like we've just about got there. <laughs> or maybe it's just like my friends who, me and my friends listen to me. I feel like we we all, everyone, kind of gets it now. But then, 
it certainly wasn't the case. It was like you were either someone who like wore a wool beanie and strummed a guitar and therefore you were real <laughs> or you made pop music and therefore you were fake. And like that, that was only like two binaries that were held very far apart. And it's like the function of the um, like shiny pop artist was, was almost supposed to underline the integrity of the person in the wool beanie strumming guitars like the existence of that person was supposed to make Damien Rice seem even more cool you know <laughs> like um yes and I think and like the uh, you mentioned when you're speaking a minute ago about like the origin story of the Spice Girls which is as punk as fuck as you can get while still <laughs> being manufactured they stole the tapes it's, I find okay, that okay you told the whole you tell the story you know the whole story you tell the whole story based on the documentary that I think we both watched. Um, so they answered, I think they answered an advert, they went to an open casting call, and that's how the first iteration of the Spice Girls was formed. And there was another girl in it who then left, and did Emma come in? I don't remember. But there was a different five, and they met at this casting call, they were moved into a house together, and they were starting to form this band. And then they did a kind of like, months and months and months long boot camp where they were writing and writing and writing but in Maidenhead girls... of all places oh you're like to make it to make it more intense for them <laughs> um, and then they got to a point where they didn't mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com feel like they were being listened to and they're like we're being told to sing these kinds of songs and that's not what we want to sing about we don't want to do the i wish you were my boyfriend type song we want we want it to be about this and this and they weren't they were being really kind of shut down and they were like we're ready to start doing things and that wasn't allowed so i believe that uh jerry went mm-hmm. into the man broke into the management office stole the tapes so stole the masters that were there already nicked them and then they ran away and they took the concert they were like we are the spice girls so we're gonna go do something do it by ourselves we're just gonna go get it done and i think it was uh dr fox the dj they went and <laughs> they were like dr fox we need a manager will you help us out and he introduced them to simon fuller and then the spice girls as we know it began it's so cool. It's such a cool... For To me, that is a cooler story than like, yeah, we were just four lads and we met in school and we loved punk and then we did it kind of thing. Like, it's so great that... Li- and there's, there's, a, there's a line in that documentary um, where Jerry says, you know, all, all the girls, they all went to stage school except for me. Um, and they kept... They were all obsessed with the contract. They were like, get, get us a contract, get us a contract. 
And Jerry said she had the realization. She was like, maybe it's good that we don't have a contract because we don't owe these people anything. I just think that like for a bunch of girls in their late teens and early 20s to be like, we don't owe these fuckers anything is like, I couldn't imagine having that kind of presence at that kind of age. Like, no. When you're that age and you want to be creative and you want to do something and someone gives you any kind of a break, and even if that break is you guys can all live in this rented gaff and maidenhead together, <laughs> like you, mm-hmm. you'd be like, please, sir. Yes, sir. Three bags full, sir. The fact that they were like, we're better. We're better than these guys <laughs> at such a young mm-hmm. age is so inspiring and cool to me. And I do think that it is insanely cool and to me that Spice Girls' biggest probably one of the biggest pop bands in the universe definitely one of the biggest pop bands ever in the uk and it was all like working class girls it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like brit school developed whatever like it, it yes it's manufactured insofar as they met through a casting call but beyond that i do think that that's really powerful because the music industry is so saturated with people who come from money and people who have been through these certain systems and i do really like that the biggest girl band we've ever known in our lives it's just a bunch of working class girls who stole the tapes i like that all the tapes (laughs) it was our own water gaze stealing the tapes um (laughs) yeah and like there's something that um victoria says in that in that documentary boat watched which is um she was like you know i think part of the reason why we were so inspiring to young girls is that we were five ordinary girls from ordinary backgrounds and then she shrugged and she was like and none of us were gorgeous, like a few hours in the makeup chair. Yeah, it's like, I mean, they were gorgeous, but I get what she means. They were gorgeous in a kind of an ordinary way. Like they were beautiful, mm-hmm. like, but they were ordinary. And, they, you know, and that there's something just so lovely about that. And um, in that, there's a, the Roger Ebert review that I read, you know, has, generally I've, I've loved <laughs> lots of his reviews in the past and he's really gotten it right but he really got it wrong god rest his soul um but he says like something like um the difference between this and a hard day's night is that it, a hard day's night was like genuinely playing off of the very like real charisma and back and forth and like wit and personality the Beatles had and then he says and the Spice Girls have about as much personality as five girls in any spy any Starbucks uh q and i was like oh fuck you <laughs> as a card carrying beatles fan i would argue that the beatles charisma era had not begun yet <laughs> at that point at that point specifically i'm like yeah they had not moved into the era of like oh shit it's the beatles beatles like yeah. they were still and i just i don't know i think that's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight because we know what the beatles then became like you can look at that and be like oh look at this really kitschy cookie era where they were still like a boy band boy band and i think that also yeah i think that we afford more gravitas to male performers generally than we do to female performers and i don't know i don't know i think if we were if hard day's night and spice world came out in the same week you could review them with the same (laughs) assessment but now we know that okay the beatles then went on to make all these other incredible records and you know John Lennon and Paul McCartney and George Harrison, they all made all this insane solo stuff. So we can be like, yes, Hard Day's Night is an amazing piece of, it's a moment in time, you know, and it is, is it better than Spice World? Probably, probably. But do I like it as much? No, (laughs) no, I don't. (laughs) Completely based on nothing. Totally. And it's, it's so, 
you really, yeah, the, definitely there's the thing of like, yes, so much of what we know about the Beatles and what, what, what they went on to do influences how we feel about them when they're young. I think like, even when I see like a young Paul McCartney, it makes me weirdly emotional, even though I didn't live through that time period. Uh, but I also think that there is this problem with how the world sees both female and male comedic content where um mm. and i think this uh, all the time about lena dunham and girls and obviously everyone's having their big girls rewatch at the moment and kind of realizing how uh, misunderstood that work was in that era uh, which wasn't very long ago um but this thing of and i remember even feeling it at the time of like uh when hannah horva that 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 character that sorry are you a girls fan is this is it over your head or anything i'm across i'm across the lore yes okay yes. <laughs> i'm across the lore um uh when when lena dunham was playing hannah horva the way that was interpreted and fed back through the press was that like this um posh art school girl doesn't realize how privileged or how silly or how um insular this world is when the point of the show was that it was pretentious and insular and these characters were privileged and had, were horrible sometimes and like that was supposed to be where the comedy came from you know and then meanwhile like if you have someone like Larry David doing Curb Your Enthusiasm which is also it's like it's an exaggerated version of a very privileged character who's always sort of like buffooning around the place and riling everyone up and saying the wrong thing everyone totally understands that like like Larry David has enough self-knowledge and wit and internal sense of satirical content to produce that. But it's like, what I'm saying is it's like people don't believe that women have either a good enough sense of humor or a strong enough sense of themselves to be able to make like self-satirizing content and and be in ownership of it. You know, I think that, like that, like they're, they're satirizing themselves. They're satirizing the pop music industry, but it was like refused to be taken at that level or something. Do you know what I mean? I do. And I think that, yeah, female artists and female celebrities are expected to be super self-aware in relation to what they look like to other people. But then we don't yeah. give them the credit to be like, oh, you're self-aware enough to make jokes about that. And I think even like when you think about like you mentioned self-esteem or wet leg, I'm like, I think it, women aren't really allowed to be funny when they're making art in that way. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, oh, yeah, you're you can be really good at what you you do. You can be incredibly art, artful and be allowed to have tongue-in-cheek lyrics and do things that, like, yeah, I just think there's definitely a, a double standard. I hate I hate it. Leave, leave the Spice Girls alone. Leave them alone. And, yes, Hard Day's Night is amazing, but does it have cameos on cameos on cameos like Spice World does? No. No, it doesn't. We haven't even talked about cameos. What are your favourite cameos? I wrote them down. Okay. I was, I'm going to make notes. <clears throat> so in the cast we have Alan Cumming, Richard E. Grant, Elton John. They meet in a hallway. John at the, the very beginning, they're, they're like, here's the kind of movie this is. We're gonna run into Elton John in a hallway and do nothing with him, and then he leaves. <laughs> like and then he it's leaves. so funny. <laughs> uh Roger Moore is the kind of like yes. Charlie of the Charlie's Angels that the manager uh publicist calls for advice. Uh, Jules Holland is like the MD in one of the scenes because mm-hmm. they're rehearsing for their shows. And it's one of my favorite lines from the film is somebody 
makes a mistake on the keyboard and they're all like, whoa, 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 stop this. And they turn around and uh, I think I think Mel B says, sort your fingers out, you div. <laughs> and as somebody in a band with people who play keyboards, I was like, Mel, can't say that. I would never I would never say to them, sort your fingers out, div. Wait, that's <laughs> Jules Holland on the keyboards. Um, he's standing in front of the musicians being like, come on, girls, we've got to practice. Oh, yeah. We've got to get it done. Um, which I love. I was like, I like that he was up for it. Hugh Laurie uh, plays the judge. No, does he play judge? No, he plays no, Stephen the, Fry is the judge. Stephen Fry is the judge. Hugh Laurie is the kind of uh, Poirot-style guy yes, in yes. one of the daydream sequences. Uh, Dominic West is I know. That and was very strange. What's so great about that cameo is that all of the other cameos are really cameos. Do you know what I mean? It's like, here's a, someone who was incredibly famous at the time agreeing to be in this movie, generally in exchange for like an autograph for their nephew. And um, the Dominic West is just like, he's clearly just a, an actor doing a job. It's like, he isn't Dominic West yet. No, we had no idea. And I was like, oh, they were just like, yeah, we want like a kind of hunky photographer guy to shoot the girls. And they're going to be like, we don't. I want to do it like that. We want to do it like this. Insert montage. Mm, um, but a great wonderful. montage. Uh, Bob Geldof, mm-hmm. Meatloaf, obviously the bus driver. Uh, well, Meatloaf does a great job, I think. He Meatloaf really, really carries it, I think. Carries his scenes. Like he he's all scene where he's like, the toilets are blocked and Richard, and he's like, he says like, it's hard enough to get a plumber to come to your house, not to mention a bus that's driving all around the country. I was and like, that's true. Enough. Pl- plumber logistics. Um, and then Richard Grant is like, well, can you just fix it? And he's like, I would, do- <laughs> <laughs> I would do anything for these girls, but I won't do that. <laughs> but like, it's such an obvious joke, but he delivers it so well. It's just a great line reading. And I'm really proud of Meatloaf and I miss him. Yeah. He, I feel like he really he was willing to do that for the group, and I thought that was nice. You know? Yeah. Um. And oh yeah, Richard O'Brien is the yes paparazzi guy, Crystal Maze. Yes. And Nuts. did he wrote he wrote uh did he write a Little Shop of Horrors or no Rocky Horror? He was. Oh, did he? I thought no. he was in Rocky Horror. Did he also write know. it? I'm yeah. so Rocky Horror is such a blind point in my like lore. I I just don't know anything about it. It's not for me. Um, but yeah. Crystal Maze, like, you had though. Crystal Maze instantly. <laughs> um, in the um, end credits, Richard O'Brien is like, um, he like comes up to them and he's like, I don't understand. I don't, what's my motivation? Why do I just hate the Spice Girls? <laughs> and they're like, eh, you just do. It's the way it was written. Okay. <laughs> um, and we were saying this earlier. One of the most gossipy things about the film that I sadly enjoy, I pretend to not be a gossip, but then. I learned that the film is written by Kim Fuller, who is Simon Fuller, the Spice Girls manager's brother. And apparently this happened because they took the idea to Disney and then Disney kind of wanted to Disneyfy it, according mm-hmm. to the internet. And mm-hmm. they wanted to make it about like a single mother who had these, like, you know, all the, all the mums of the Spice Girls were going to be single mothers and it was about them overcoming adversity to be a pop band. And so I wonder if that's what the American writer producer that they're parodying in the film is a bit about but apparently then simon fuller was like i'm just gonna get my brother to write it and kim fuller had written on like not the nine o'clock news um lenny henry show and things like that and later went on to write the s club seven tv shows oh wow because they were also made by simon fuller but so much of the narrative in spice world is 
we're really overworked by our manager. We never get any time off. We're exhausted. He doesn't understand us. He's turning us into like a corporate capitalist entity. And then I looked up the dates and shortly after the filming of the film, they parted ways with Simon Fuller for on those terms, for those reasons. So I think Spice World was filmed in the summer and then by like November time, they had given Simon the old tin tack. And I love the meta gossip of that. And his brother wrote it. I was like, wait, did he know? Did he know it was about him? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. It's so good. When I was reading up about it, it was like, yeah, you know, Simon had a good sense of humor about, you know, the Roger Moore character being kind of a send up of him sort of thing, uh, which mm. I didn't under. I was like, okay. Um, but um, yeah, it is. That's very juicy. That's very delicious. And it, it does remind you again of just like, yeah like how how short this entire period was and it like it being this you know i'm sure you're about to say on this it being this incredibly you know a capitalist thing of of the pop industry music industry generally and the pop industry specifically and pop like this specifically it's like the 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 consensus of like we are making this music for extremely young people and those young people as we know grow very quickly and they grow out of things very quickly and so the sort of business plan with this is to squeeze every last drop of it and out as quickly as we can before its audience gets tired of itself um and mm. this kind of thing of like yeah there's one point where they didn't have a day off for a year and like um that is, I thought, that is that's true yeah that's like real life yeah, yeah. and like as a part human being i'm like you're gonna get burnt out by that but I do get it's like we'll make hay while the sun shines yeah but I didn't realize at the time that Generation Next which I thought was a really great album track is just it's a Pepsi song it's the slogan from Pepsi in a song and I was like oh right I see why and they were on all like the Walker's Crisps packets and like in Mel C's memoir she does talk about that as the reasoning while they were getting so stressed out they were like we felt like we were just selling products all the time and yeah. we were never getting days off we hadn't seen our families in forever and the girls had a power and they're like we can't keep going on like this something's got to change and we've we've said to him we've said to him he's not listening so um yes i guess they the lore is that they turned up to the mtv europe awards and they were like simon's fired <laughs> they just did it but then i think they got him back in for the reunion and stuff and I think he managed Victoria all the way through. So seems like everything's fine, guys. It seems like the beef has passed. It's all good. But what a little bit of spicy tea for watching a spice tea. world, though. And the <laughs> uh, the sort of closing of the circle of them, like, uh, getting their way out of things by stealing things. There's also a story that when they uh, dumped Simon Fuller, they broke into his offices and stole a phone that had all their schedules and contacts in it, which I find yes. very cool. Yes. And yeah, they're like, well, we're just going to, and they like self-managed for a certain amount of time until they found somebody else. And I was like, I lo love that for them. I would never have the wherewithal to do that. No. I'm like, whose phone do I steal? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> whose phone? Like, yeah. Whose phone? We used to, truly. Um, like, we haven't talked a lot about like their individual performances in the film. Mm, yes, do you have a power ranking a... in terms of like how <laughs> there's mm. some like, yeah. Um, I feel like everyone has their everyone has their moments where they yeah. they can. Well, shine. Yeah, okay, it's better maybe. Who's your favorite <laughs> favorite moment per spice in 
in the movie. I think my favourite Mel B bit is when they're talking to the press at their, are they at an album launch or something? Um, and they're asking them questions and then Emma's like, I wish that boys were like pizzas and you could just get them delivered when you want them. And Mel B says, yeah, no cheese. <laughs> With no I, cheese. Watching it today, I was I was like trying to assess whether like any of them had like maybe natural acting chops, and I think Mel B is the most natural in front of the camera. Like she's got a real like Lucille Ball kind of quality to her. She's really like punching the lines in a really in a way that's like exaggerated but really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say like Victoria Victoria is very good at the self deprecating take the piss out of herself thing. When she's yes. doing the, there's a strange army boot camp for some reason, unclear. <laughs> I don't know what, what they're doing, but you know, Mr. she Step. does do it. Mr. Step. And I, I was like, good for you, Victoria. Yeah. I feel like we learned more about Victoria during that film because I feel like she was always, after the media got hold of it, you're like, yeah, she's very poor faced and serious. And like in the film, I was like, no, she is a lot funnier. And she's, she's allowed, she's allowed, she's allowed to be many things, Victoria. Just let her be many things. That's kind of when you watch that this movie and when you also watch many interviews with the Spice Girls, you do kind of their multiplicity comes into view. And I think obviously uh, Victoria was like she was posh by she was like into designers and brands and she's kept up that branding for the rest of her life. And good honor. That must be hard. She did very well. Very well done. Very Victoria. well over a very thin characterization. Um, but I also think there's something I, and, I, and also like posh Spice and Victoria like super fans are obsessed with her sense of humor like there's so many youtube um combinations like a youtube compilations rather of like hosh spices dry humor over the years and sometimes just her being like yeah i don't know and it's like oh our queen but i, I think that <laughs> like um something that like really defines the posh spice thing is also a certain spaciness like they're often giving like group interviews and she's miles away and i find that very endearing about her as well oh yeah there's like one like viral clip of like her putting her head in her hands and like looking really depressed but then apparently she was like i was just hungover as fuck guys have you never been at work and been really, really hungover? Yes, I was doing that whilst I was at a press conference. So yes, I am like pinching my sinuses because I'm feeling terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she needs a little glass of champs every so often. She's posh. She's posh. It's so great that like somebody can make an entire like career in a brand and a, and a dynasty out of just having resting bitch face, you know? I love that. <laughs> she really parlayed it into something and I like, yeah, I like yeah. that for her. Um, um favorite? Guess... Sorry. Well, I was trying to think, I'm like, who else do we have to, um, my favourite Mel C moments, I will say, are the the, the singing moments. I think, um, I always find it very difficult to pick a favourite spice. I was always of the, I don't think we should have to pick a favourite. Uh, well, I was like, but also it changes day in, day out. Mm. And I'm a truther that Mel B is actually a really great singer. And nobody gave her credit for that because people aren't impressed by alto singing voices. We're impressed by high sopranos. We're not impressed by what is a very important low register. It's very hard to have that low resonant register. And she's holding down the, she's holding down oh, the, the end of the scene, you know? Mm. Um, but I will say that when I was a kid, Mel C was definitely my favorite of the singers. So as an adult, I'm like, justice for Mel B. But as a kid, I was like, wow, is there a better singer than Melanie C? No. I don't think there is. And when they're in the rehearsals and or when there's the bit in Mama where she does, you're my friend. I'm like, oh, oh, 
That is that's some real special stuff. I was like, she was born for the stage, Mel. She was born for it. Yeah, it's it's so funny about how they characterized and branded her kind of thing because they really there's the two Melanies were the victims of some sort of harsh and sometimes offensive branding where it's like whether whether Mel B wanted to or not it was like it was animal prints all the time they were they were definitely sort of leaning into a characterization of like black femininity that like she she also has some great outfits in like her astronaut jacket is so iconic to me every time I watch this movie I google the astronaut jacket um <laughs> and but also but and then Mel C it's like I wonder what it felt like to be like fitted for a costume for a for a photo shoot and like Jerry being put in like a silk backless number or like a bustier or whatever and Posh being given this tiny little black dress and then there's another pair of trackies and like that's what you get and maybe sometimes if you're lucky a vest <laughs> like I wonder mm. how she felt about that while also yeah. being the best singer in the band the best the best yeah and yeah the bit in I, I just love her falsetto moments when she does that bit in too much like the boy who thinks he can like the high thing yeah. I was like oh I was like, I felt like a dog with my head out a car window. I was like, this is just <laughs> fab- fabulous, Mel. I've never heard vocals like this. So yeah, I'm like, justice for justice for all the Spice Girls, really, um, to get their respect. But yeah, the outfits in this film, I love like Emma's like '60s kind of go-go vibe. Oh, I love that it. She has um, Richard E. Grant's got that. He's there's one section where he's wearing like a kind of green Morpheus Matrix suit, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. He looks and like the Riddler most of the time, yeah. I loved uh, Mel B's laced buns that she did. Mm. Like, she's always got very cool, like, she's really got interesting hair hair situations in it. And, yeah, just the sheer amount of pastel-coloured eyeshadows in this film. I was like, wow, got to crack crack that palette out again. <laughs> got to get into this. Truly, it makes you want to crack the palette out. And it, particularly in the opening titles, which are done a bit like Bond titles, where it's like that really yes. soft focus on them. And you can really see that beautiful 90s makeup. And they just look so, so beautiful. Like There's something in how, as you say, how like relatable it felt or how achievable it felt. But also how exciting that felt to be like, and then these girls are on telly. These girls are, I'm seeing them in the cinema. Like, this is so exciting and so cool. And yeah. Just love it. Uh, what's your favourite outfit in the montage? I do enjoy that Victoria gets to do a sort of comedic send-up of a Bond girl. I thought that was very enjoyable. Mm, the blonde wig, um, I love that. Mm-hmm. I loved, and I, I kind of noticed it for the first time on this viewing, uh, Mel B doing Diana Ross. Oh, yeah. She looks so good. I think it's Diana Ross she's doing anyway, but she like looks the most beautiful she's ever looked. Uh, just loved it. Yeah, loved the Sandy and uh, Danny stuff as well. Great. Yes, and uh, Mel B as Jerry. I did like that. And she says the word feminism out loud. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow. She's like, oh, yeah, I'm Jerry, feminism, girl power. And I was like, oh, wow, they actually put it on record. They put it on tape. Yeah, as we know, was it, was a, it was like you were fined if you said feminism out loud in the 90s. Like. Mm. It was so funny, actually, like looking over old interviews and like when they're basically asked and prodded about girl power and whether um, like threatening 
radio interviewers threatening to call the Spice Girls feminists and like how it's quite obvious that like they've had some kind of a media training that says like never admit to that because it'll become mm-hmm. a stick to beat you with or whatever because it was such an unpopular movement at the time and every time it's like the same sort of like knee-jerk answer it's like them going like no we're just all about having a laugh aren't we and like and being yourself and mm-hmm. having a laugh and like boys are our friends but girls are great too yeah kind of thing and you can tell they have been told to walk this very fine line that has to be like we're celebrating the empowerment of girls but not at the expense or at the cost of any male freedoms you know yes well yeah and I do think I I still really think what they were doing was so important because it for me it was definitely a gateway drug to other things or just a a mind a mind opening thing where I'm like oh yeah we girls can do anything woo whatever Mm -hmm. but it does make me sad when I realize how many of my other faves especially in like alternative music really hated the Spice Girls and were horrible to them at the time like their 90s contemporaries in more alternative spaces were really quite brutal to them really like so who? I was like oh no um I believe I believe that um Shirley Manson did not have great things to say about the Spice Girls mm-hmm. at the time but I also understand I understand I wasn't a contemporary of them at the time I wasn't a woman trying to work in the industry at that time and I understand why, same way as I know a lot of women were really horrible about Madonna in the 80s because mm-hmm. they viewed it as Madonna's making it harder for all the rest of us because of what she's doing and then this is expected of us and we don't want to do that. And I just, Yeah, to me it makes me sad because I'm like, no, you're all my favourites and you all are part of the feminist tapestry of the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. And I think especially as I've gotten older, like... I've definitely had pub arguments with people about the Spice Girls when they've been like, yeah, but they they dressed they dressed in a certain way and they wanted to be pretty, they wanted to be attractive, they wanted to be hot. And I'm like, I, I feel like that's a really tricky argument because I'm like, well, okay, but we live in the world that we live in. And then why should you not be allowed to, I don't know. It's almost like the objectification of, of women, you're not allowed to, not they not even benefit from that but like it's going to happen anyway so they should only be allowed to receive the negative impacts of that and then also we assume that everything that they're doing is for the benefit of somebody else like it's just I think it's a very layered and tricky situation and I think that like sometimes when I'm getting ready for a show I'm like why am I putting on makeup why am I putting on this this certain outfit is that because I'm trying to be attractive to other people like what does that mean what does that mean and I pull the thread and I'm like oh Mm. it's just a big mess but then I'm like well we're just trying to be alive aren't you (laughs) you're just trying to be alive at the end of the day and when I think about dressing for shows I don't feel consciously like I'm dressing for the male gaze I feel like I'm dressing for the girls and for the gay men that are coming to the show (laughs) like and that's how I feel about it and I imagine that that's how they feel but it's ter- terrible to ha- be so policed all the time and then you're policing yourself inside your mind and the only way to win I'm like I guess should I just move to a mountaintop and wear a sack and then then I am being as good a feminist as I think that I should be because then I'm not participating in anything that might be to do with anything that might further the objectification of women I'm like oh god I don't know how I don't know the answer I don't know how to win it's so confusing and I would be incredibly confused if I was you. Um, so it seems like you're really towing the line of your own brain there. Um, but like, <laughs> especially it's like, if it's like in the situation and in the job that you do, it's like you like make 
music that is like an expression of your your artistry and your creativity and your band's artistry and creativity but you're also you're somebody's night out do you know what I mean like you're a, you're a date in the diary that they have circled off and they want it to be the greatest night of their lives hopefully you know that's what we all hope when we go get in the train to go to the O2 arena do you know what I mean like um and you are standing on a stage in front of thousands of people and you're very small <laughs> you know it's like I'm very small yes <laughs> And and like to to fill that stage with presence and with glitter and with something not just to see but to channel other people's dreams and hopes and it, not just the dreams and hopes of their life but the dreams and hopes for that singular night out. It's such a difficult job and it needs to be done with pageantry. You know, I don't see how you get away yes. from that. Well, yeah, and to me, I'm like, there's nothing more exciting to me than a costume change. Woof! Like <laughs> if somebody else does that, I love it. So, oh yeah, and I think that it took me a long time to come around to that and be like, "This is part of storytelling. It's part of theatrical escapism. It's part. It's allowed to be fun." But I think, especially working in like more like alternative pop space or whatever, which is yeah. very male dominated, I'm like, I think I definitely pushed a lot of that to the side because I was like, "Well, people won't like that, or you have to be taken seriously, and in order to be taken seriously, you have to be more." masculine in terms of how you approach the business and stuff anyway um so I'm definitely in my costume change era which I think is nice and I think that that means coming full circle to my love of things like the Spice Girls so thank you to them (laughs) but I just love yeah and I did like little gasps when there was like outfits that I liked that they had on I was like oh like there was a kind of bustier with like a train Mm. that Jerry was wearing at one point Mm. and I'm like all every platform boot I will have I love them I love them all (laughs) <laughs> it was such such great outfits I, I'm curious as well like while we're on the sort of women in the arts sort of bend kind of thing it's like they I've been thinking a lot because we did an episode on Cher recently and about how mm. um how useful it is particularly when you're a woman and you're a very famous woman to have a sort of a hologram of yourself that works without you you know and like if enough people have like a vague outline of the shape of who you are, that's like a projected character. I mean, the Spice Girls, they were, they hit it on the head, right? They like, even though the Daily Mail gave them those nicknames, it was like a brand. We were, it was so simple, like posh, spice, <laughs> posh, scary, ginger, whatever. It was also like compacted of like, yes, I am, I'm a bit brash and opinionated. Therefore, I get to be ginger spice. I'm a bit, um, you know, reserved. I get to be posh spice. And like those holograms worked without them and they helped build that empire. And I wondered if you as like an artist feel like you need to have a hologram that works without you. Um, I think that I probably developed it over time because I think on the, like, the first Church's albums, I was like 23 when we started the band and... 24 into 25 on that first album cycle and I just was not prepared for any of that in any way and mm. I do wish when I look back on some of that that I had a kind of avatar yeah uh, that would have kept someone that slightly more distant because I think like the first album all the interviews and we've been talking about it a lot because this year's the 10th anniversary of that album oh, and congratulations. When I look at, thanks we're still going we're yeah still, still trucking on but it is weird when I look at, especially like video footage of interviews from that time. I'm like, oh God, you're so so young and so 
serious and it's not serious it's serious being serious because I think I want people to take me seriously but also because I'm just really overwhelmed and really worried um and I think yeah they definitely a lot more of the questioning at that time was like how do the guys write the songs and what do you do to sit there and be nice (laughs) and I think that yeah I think around in between the first and second album I was like okay I need to go and like get a better handle on how to do this and figure out how to do the performances better. And I think from album two onwards, I think I was like, okay, I've definitely, the the way that people were characterizing the band was, she's a very grumpy feminist, even though when I look back at it, I'm like, I hadn't really done that much quote unquote feminist stuff, really. I think I said one thing once and that was what everybody wrote about it. But in a way that was helpful because then moving forward from that it was a bit like okay this is what they think it is already what do I like about that and how can I channel that and have it be removed from the real person a little bit if that makes sense um in the writing I think you're always authentic but in I just definitely I definitely learned about the need to have a persona self to a degree in the public space and I can understand yeah the part in the film where they're like we only get to be the one thing that we've said they've said that we are I was like yeah that is true so I guess try and choose that thing as carefully as you can. That's a great And try lesson. and get the, the benefits out of it where you can. But yeah, I do think that with all celebrities, but especially female celebrities, we're like, you are the thing and we cannot let you evolve into another thing. Yeah. And that we can't, our brains can't do that. So, yeah. Um, all right. Do we, I think I've kept you a long time. Do we have anything else that we want to say about this movie that we haven't said yet? I feel like we've missed so much of the great lines and stuff, but we've really distilled yeah. our love for these girls. Um. Yeah, I don't even want to talk about the Gary Glitter of it all, really. Oh my god! <sighs> Apparently, he was supposed to be in it, and they edited him out because yeah. it was like the few months around the filming when all the allegations came out, so they cut him out. But unfortunately, it still has them singing "Leader of the Gang," <laughs> which very sadly felt like is a really a long scene. I was like, "Oh god, why is this scene lasting so long? Is it lasting that long, or am I just really uncomfortable? I don't know." It was tough. Yeah. Um, and they are going on an amazing club night out, which looks fabulous and really underlined for me how camp this film is and how it's really meant to be excellently camp. I was like, this is wonderful. It's so, oh, oh, and Posh Driving the Bus. That's my Posh Driving the Posh Bus. Posh Driving the Bus. I can't leave without talking about that. And the line I wrote down from that scene was, hold on to your knickers, girls. <laughs> As she puts stiletto to the metal and off she goes. I love this movie. I think it's such a joy. Um, and thank you for coming on to talk about it. Unless there's something else we want we want to mention. No, thank you for letting me ramble so extensively about all of that. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Uh, th- do you have a Do you have things to promote? I mean, <laughs> if uh, you'd like to. What are we doing? Um, we're touring in the UK and Europe uh, a little bit in May June. But other than oh. that, um, I would just say watch Spice World if you can find it. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. 
add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com